Welcome to No Baller. My name is Chris Rawl, and it is Monday, June 7th. On today's show, superstar showdown between Kawhi and Luka in Game 7 of Mavs Clippers, decided, as always, on the margins. Before we get there, this show is available via app. It's called the Beehive TV. You can download it on anything, iOS, Android, Roku, whatever the hell you want. I don't care. Go and find the app. Go and download it. Go and spread the word about No Baller to friends in your life who like sports. Tell them this is a great show. I enjoy it. You'll enjoy it too. Download this app. You know the drill. We'll start today's show where we always start it. Um, Why gambling should be legal in Utah. I'm going to warn everybody. I'm an emotional wreck right now. The playoffs are taking a toll in many ways. Uh, Life is taking a toll in many ways. I'm not in a great frame of mind. This show could be the most deranged show that I'll ever do. And at the top of this emotional quagmire, I have this strange affinity for the Winnipeg Jets that I can't fully explain, who are playing the Montreal Canadiens. And I bet them in game one. And I say, Winnipeg's rested. They're going to be able to beat Montreal. They're coming off a seven-game series against Toronto. Winnipeg should be able to take them out. No, no, Winnipeg doesn't do anything. So we go to game two, and I say, this is the game that Winnipeg comes and plays. Yeah, Mark Shifley just got suspended for a crazy hit at the end of game one. They're going to be the better team. They're going to play well. I'll bet Winnipeg again. No, it doesn't happen. Uh, they've run into Carey Price, somehow the greatest goaltender in the history of hockey, despite the fact that 90% of the time he can't save a puck, and then he gets in these enormous playoff games, and he turns into the greatest thing that's ever laced up skates. The last night's game three of Winnipeg and Montreal. <laughs> and I abide by the old adage, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. You know, I'm the captain on the sinking ship. I go, I'm going down with the ship. I don't care. I'm betting Winnipeg again. They're plus 125. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm convinced this is the night. Yeah, there's a bunch of craziness going on, but this is going to be the, the buoy out there at sea that I can hang on to when my ship sinks and I have something there. That's going to be Winnipeg tonight at plus 125. No, no, it wasn't the case. It was just garbage. Again, uh, Montreal runs them right out of the building. They seem to score a shorthanded goal every game. Carey Price, who now has a 940 save percentage in the playoffs, he does Carey Price stuff. He allows one goal. I think he has 26 saves. And the worst part about it is, not that I've already made three bets on Winnipeg and lost, it's that I truly am the captain of the sinking ship. And now I've dug my heels in so hard And my personality, which is just to double down and go, no, no, you're in the right place. Just just wait it out. Just stay the course. I know that I'll be betting Winnipeg in game four, and I'll watch the game, and I'll hate myself the entire time. And this is part of why the playoffs in gambling take a toll on a human being. So why gambling should be legal in Utah? Because it will teach you valuable lessons about stubbornness and valuable lessons about betting against a white hot goalie in the playoffs. And now, a word from our sponsor. With your and you always Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Winning is all about the razor-thin margins on the edges, uh, especially in the playoffs. I've talked about that constantly on this show. Supporting cast, what they do, management, how they've put a team together, coaching and the X's and O's and the constant 
push and pull of how to make adjustments within a series. Uh, simple luck of whether ball bounces in or out or puck hits a post and goes in or out. Um, you know, go back to basketball, just three-point shooting in general in today's NBA. These are all the margin pieces that comprise a game being won or lost and a series being won or lost. However, today's show is not necessarily about that. Uh, it's about how you get into that position, which is star power. The teams that exist within the playoffs, they're not there because of these tiny little margin pieces that do comprise wins and losses. Uh, you have to have the core that takes you to this point. That's the star. That's the star power. That's what the NBA is built upon. Right now, who's left within the NBA playoffs, you have an incredible list of stars, both up and coming and established. The NBA is in a great place there. You know, you look around the league and Jokic is going to be going head to head against Devin Booker here. Uh, two amazing stars who just pieced together incredible performances. Jokic going out of his mind against Portland. Devin Booker in game six against the Lakers that I talked about last week. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's there waiting for the Clippers. He's doing Donovan Mitchell things in the playoffs yet again. Giannis had an incredible game one, albeit in a losing effort against the Nets. Joel Embiid, uh, he's doing his thing. An incredible star turn from Trey Young, who out of almost nowhere has morphed into the most unstoppable player in these playoffs. He torches the New York Knicks to the ground. And yesterday in game one against the Sixers, one of the very best teams uh, on the defensive side of the ball, he does the exact same thing. He's a walking 35 and 10 every single night. It's incredible. Then you combine that with the older generation, uh, and older is a relative term, but you got your Kevin Durant there. You got Kyrie Irving. You got Kawhi Leonard. You got Paul George. Uh, the NBA is just in a great place when it comes to stars. And when it comes to people who are able to drag their team into a position where now these razor-thin margins come into existence. So yesterday we have a, a true battle between colossuses, if you will. Uh, Kawhi Leonard and the Los Angeles Clippers against Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, game seven was yesterday afternoon. And the Clippers end up winning 126 to 111. Very strange series. First time in NBA history that the road team had won the first six games of the series. And then yesterday, Clippers win on their home floor. First time that happened in the series. And a lot of that was because of Kawhi Leonard, who played a game that only Kawhi Leonard can play. 28 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists, 4 steals, 1 block, 0 turnovers. He shoots 10 for 15 from the field. Uh, and it's quintessential Kawhi Leonard, a dude who can affect the game in all manners, in a very efficient way, and it is about as good of a two-way player as you can possibly find throughout the history of basketball. On the other side of that is the man who lost, who put forth a hell of an effort in his own right, Luka Doncic. 46 points, 14 assists, 7 rebounds, 17 for 30 from the field. Uh, goes about his business in a different way from Ka Kawhi. He's not the two-way force, but he is about as unstoppable of an offensive player as exists in basketball in present day. What makes him even more intriguing is there's still room to grow. He's young. Uh, this is his second playoffs. Him and Kawhi have duked it out now in back-to-back -back years. Last year in the bubble, when the Mavericks losing six games to the Clippers, 
this year again uh, with the Mavericks losing in seven games. It was a really incredible series, and even yesterday, despite the game getting out of hand in the fourth quarter, it was just an incredible thing to watch. One of the very best playoff performers of his generation in Kawhi versus the up-and-comer, who looks like he's going to take over that role much sooner rather than later. So because Kawhi won, we'll start with him today. Uh, And I want to speak about his performance within this series and just the things that Kawhi brings to the table as such a notable star within the NBA. So going into Game 7, I want to read to you a quote from Kirk Goldsberry of ESPN. Leonard is the second player ever to average 30 points on 60% shooting through his first six games of a postseason joining Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who did this three times. The Clippers star is combining scoring volume and efficiency in ways we have literally never seen in the playoffs. Through six games, he's averaging 32.8 points per game, shooting 61% from the field, 43% from three-point range, and 88% at the line. Out of 21 players who have attempted at least 50 jumpers in these playoffs, nobody has been more efficient than Leonard, who has a silly effective field goal percentage, of 64.7% on his 68 jumpers in this series, end quote. So that's going into game seven. Then he follows that up with, again, 28, 10, 9, 4, 1, and 10 for 15 from the field. Pretty much right on line with everything he's been doing up until this point. These shooting efficiency numbers are incredible. When you consider the looks that Kawhi is getting and creating for himself, we're not talking about these gimme buckets at the rim that uh, someone else is creating for him and he's catching lobs and dunking or he's getting it with his back to the basket four feet away and punishing these smaller defenders. Kawhi is that attack style wing who operates from the perimeter in. So he's walking into these jumpers that are contested, uh, these contested threes. When he gets to the rim, the defense is waiting and he's either dunking on people or getting fouled and then shooting 90% from the line. He is an incredible offensive player in many ways. Uh, The most notable way, and especially when it comes to the playoffs, as we've seen in the past with him, is his ability to just manufacture a shot for himself that goes in. Uh, This really started to rear its head during the latter days of his San Antonio career when he became the go-to option, and his jumper just seemed almost uh, programmed, like a robot, where you go, oh, we just need a bucket? All right, Kawhi, give it to you at the top of the key and jab step and shoot with a guy in your face, and the ball is never going to go more than three inches above the rim, but it's going to bang in off the back iron and go straight down, and somehow you can repeat that over and over. That's what we've seen from Kawhi in the past at San Antonio. That's what we really saw in Toronto two years ago when he helped lead them to a title, uh, when he had these incredible legendary performances against Philadelphia in round two, against Milwaukee in round three when they're down 2-0 and then come back to win the series 4-2, and against Golden State in the finals when... They take advantage of injuries to Durant and Klay Thompson and Kawhi's Terminator in that series. He's the cold-blooded assassin who just says, "Mm, you're never going to understand what's going on with me emotionally. I'm just going to walk into these jumpers and these threes and you can't do anything on planet Earth to stop me. Uh, In this series against the Mavericks this year, Kawhi shot almost 74% on the road during this series, the highest in NBA history for players with a minimum of 50 field goal attempts. Again, incredible. When you think about the style of field goals Kawhi's attempting, if you watch this series, 
you know it's not a steady diet of lobs that he's catching and just putting these things in at the hoop. It's everywhere. You look at his heat map or his shot chart, and it's all over from the arc outside all the way into the key. Uh, and, and he just couldn't ever be stopped. Uh, really incredible stuff from Kawhi Leonard. On top of that, what separates Kawhi as one of the most notable and gifted playoff performers of his generation is the two-way prowess, which very few players possess. You usually have one who is an A-plus on offense or on defense, and it's very rare that you find the same thing on the other side of the ball because it's just a lot to ask out of a player. There are very few players in the history of the NBA that are A-plus on both sides of the ball. Kawhi Leonard is one of those people. Um, One of the main adjustments in Game 6, the Clippers are down 3-2, They got to go on the road and beat Dallas and then win again in game seven, which they end up doing both. Game six is one of the most incredible Kawhi performances that we've ever seen. Uh, Not only was he unstoppable on the offensive end and his second half, especially when Dallas was making push after push and Kawhi would just get the ball and bang home a three with a defender right underneath him. What was just as incredible is the adjustment that Dallas or that the Clippers made and said, all right, Kawhi, you're going to have to guard Doncic too. So not only do we need you to create all of your offense in the efficient, high-volume manner that you've done all series, you have to guard the most unstoppable offensive player in the playoffs right now, Luka Doncic. And that bore out over the course of that game where he was the primary defender on Doncic 38 separate times, which was more than he was in the first three games combined, probably because the Clippers are trying to save his legs. At the same time, when push comes to shove and you have a two-way force like Kawhi, you untether him and you let him loose. And you go, we got to win. And part of us winning involves you shutting down Luka Doncic. Um, going into game seven, uh, there were 131 different instances in which Leonard was guarding Doncic in pick and roll actions. Where the, Maverage, or the Mavericks managed 8, 0.84 points per possessions. Now there were 218 instances in which a different Clipper was guarding him within these pick and roll actions. The Mavericks average 1.21 points on those possessions. Very large gap, almost 0.4 points per possessions. Strictly by virtue of having Kawhi Leonard involved within this pick-and-roll game that the Mavericks rely so heavily upon. Uh, Kawhi is probably the only person in the NBA right now who comes to mind that is on the same plane as LeBron as this two-way force. And this is more a reference to prime LeBron and, and uh LeBron from a few years removed, where when push comes to shove, you can just untether these guys and say, I know this will take a large toll on your energy tank, but I'm going to need you for 42 minutes tonight, and you're going to have to guard the best player that is giving us problems, and you're going to have to do everything on the offensive end that you already do. Uh, It's a lot to ask out of a player, but if you have a reasonable supporting cast, and if you have that skill set, both of which are very rare to have, then you could unlock that. Uh, Yesterday's third quarter with Kawhi Leonard was a great example of this very phenomenon because it contained everything that makes Kawhi Kawhi. He gets to the rim and he's throwing down just these ferocious dunks, Terminator style. He's getting into the key and the defense is collapsing and he's creating open looks for others. Okay, now Marcus Morris is canning threes from the corner where he's wide open. Um, Tim Hardaway is getting to the rim and he thinks he has an easy bucket. Who's there? The claw. Just snuffing him out, grabbing the ball, plucking it out of air like it's a little marble because his hands seem like they're gargantuan at times on defense. Uh, 
He caps this enormous Clippers run with an offensive rebound and an and one. Uh, he beats Luka, who's just kind of late on a box out, grabs the ball off the rim, goes back up, gets fouled, lays it in. Clippers are now up double digits. They're fist pumping. He was just the catalyst behind this enormous 24-4 run to end the third quarter, a run that just, it was the winning margin. It's where the Clippers said, no, you're not on our same playing field. This series is going to be over. Uh, Go away. That was the 24-4 run, and all of it was revolving around all of these little Kawhi Leonard things. Uh, Him flicking the switch into Terminator mode and doing anything and everything to help his team win. So now they're advancing to the next round, which poses another really interesting matchup because a very notable and much-discussed knock on the Utah Jazz, the Clippers' second-round opponent, is that their defense struggles to contain elite wings. And now Utah's staring down the barrel of a wing who is as elite as it gets in the playoffs both ways, playing at the top of his game. Uh, And it's cool because we're going to get a really definitive answer on is Utah's defense smoke and mirrors when it comes to defending a player of this caliber in the playoffs? We're going to get an answer. So now on the other side of this game seven equation yesterday is the losing player, a player who in his own right played just as spectacularly and at times even more so than Kawhi Leonard. Luka Doncic, who now has lost the last two years to the Clippers. Again, last year in the bubble in six games, this year in seven games. And everybody agrees that what Luka is doing is truly incredible. He hasn't had the better team either year, and he's dragged his entire roster kicking and screaming as far as they can possibly go within these series. It's a two-point game yesterday, midway through the third quarter. Uh, anybody's ball game, as they say. And that's a testament to Luca and his ability to be this chess master almost and, and see everything on the court and know exactly what to do at all times and then possess all the skills to do those things. You know, His offensive game truly is unstoppable because of this. He's got unlimited tricks within his bag. Uh, so many ways to hurt you as a scorer. The step-back threes, the step-back jumpers, running off of one leg, the ode to Dirk Nowitzki, these little floaters when he gets to the key, but there's defense waiting at the rim. His ability to just bully people under the rim that are slightly smaller or even his size and just use his mass and his bulk and his understanding of geometry and angles to get them out of the way, and now he's got a layup or he's got an and one. And you can't stop a game that's that well-rounded, especially when it's compounded with his vision and his passing, which is just as good as his scoring, if not more so. Uh, His ability to see the court, think two steps ahead of the defense, and understand there's a time and a place for scoring and a passing, and I will always understand what the right basketball play is, and I will always make the right basketball play, and I will always force the defense to continually respond to what I'm doing, and I can vacillate between both of these things, scoring and passing, in equal measures, and do them at the highest level. I'll always be able to find the one tiny minuscule flaw in your defense on any given possession and exploit that. That's what Luca brings to the table. That's what he brought to the table this whole series. That's what he brought to the table yesterday in game seven. So I'm going to read another quote from Kurt Goldsberry of ESPN when it comes to Luca's performance in game five of this series. 
His offensive performance in Game 5 was a face-melter. At Staples Center on Wednesday night, Doncic either scored or assisted on 31 of the Mavericks' 37 total field goals. That's 83.8%, and that's the highest such figure in any NBA game ever. Not only did Doncic hit 17 buckets in that game, he assisted on 14 more, end quote. Any NBA game ever. The dude dragged his team to a Game 5 win on the road to put them up 3-2. Ultimately, that didn't matter uh, in this grand scheme of who won or who lost the series. It's turning into one of those lost performances of the playoffs I referenced on Friday, uh, an episode about Dame Lillard and his spectacular Game 5 against the Nuggets. They succumb in six games in that series and kind of gets pushed aside a little. And as time goes on, uh, our memory changes a little bit. And rather than going, holy cow, that was an incredible performance. The public narrative cycle, if that player doesn't win, it usually starts to work against them. Last night in game seven, Doncic has 29 points and seven assists on 10 of 14 shooting in the first half. 29-7 on 10 of 14 shooting. In the first half of game seven, when the Clippers know everything he wants to do and still are powerless to stop him. And that was just so the Mavericks could be down by eight points at the half. Think about that. Uh, It's the very definition of what we've seen in back-to-back years in the Mavericks versus the Clippers matchup. Uh, Doncic as the man on the island against a deeper and more talented Clippers team. Uh, And Doncic really performing at, at a level that's there are a short list of NBA players who could perform at that level ever. Uh, just earlier last week in Game 5, we see a performance that has literally never happened in the history of the NBA. That's what Doncic has been bringing to the table in his two years in the playoffs. And that won't be held against him by the public for now, uh, but it's also something to remember as we move forward and the years pile up. And if Luca's team maybe doesn't necessarily match up with his talents, uh, how we look back over the first however many years of Luca's career, five years, eight years, 10 years, especially if there's not a championship within that window, then the way that we perceive these things starts to shift, a uh, constant frustration of mine. I want to read a paragraph from Dan Titus of the Action Network that ties into Luca's performance in the fourth quarter of these playoff games within this series. And these stats are going into Game 7. Luka's disappearing act in the fourth quarter is pretty evident. The Clippers' strategy is to wear Doncic down, so he's gassed by the end of the game. Just how bad is it? According to NBA Advanced Stats, he's averaging 3.4 points on 22.2% shooting, 1.4 rebounds, 1.8 assists, and 1.4 turnovers in five fourth quarters of this series. End quote. So... He made those numbers look better last night uh, in kind of meaningless uh, garbage time stuff. Throughout the course of the series, this was a constant theme. Luca going like this, 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 and then the fourth quarter gradually descending downwards. And I get that these stats are what they are. And people can look at these and go, well, he should have played to the level that he'd the level and the standard that he'd set through three quarters, and he doesn't do that in the fourth quarter. Well, why is that? There must be some flaw or 
maybe he's just not as good in the fourth quarter. There's all sorts of narratives that you could try to uh, read together based upon these numbers. Me, a person who has fought this battle many a time, I look at them and I go, okay, these fourth quarter stats, they are what they are. Yeah, sure. Uh, But I can never hold these numbers against a superstar when they are bawling out of their mind and doing literally everything for their team for three quarters, for three and a half quarters, for every single game, just in order to get into a competitive fourth quarter. I can't hold that against a superstar. Uh, It's a really, really tough ask of any player in the history of the NBA to say every single night, I need you to do everything at the highest level, at the highest efficiency, at the highest volume, just in order for our team to be competitive. I'm not even saying for them to win. Of course, everybody's gas tank is going to start dwindling down and by the fourth quarter, when they're playing 40 plus minutes and using every offensive possession and then still trying to play defense and rebound and do all the other fringe things that are needed within a basketball game to win, of course, that player's tank is going to go down to empty. uh, Doncic's... Fading in the third quarter of yesterday's Game 7 as Kawhi is kind of ramping it up. That whole stretch that I talk about with Kawhi where he jump starts the 24-4 run. Doncic looked like his gas tank was on empty. Uh, He didn't want to get to the rim as much. Usually a sign of tiredness. It's not probably uh, suddenly Doncic goes, I don't really want to be as aggressive as I was in the first half. Uh, He misses a few blockouts on defense. Then one notable one that I talked about with Kawhi on the end one. He just looked like he was tired, and that would make sense. He played six and a half games, these high-leverage playoff games, tons of minutes, uh, use every offensive possession when you're on the court. A lot to ask of a player. So for me, the takeaway of this series for Luka as the star on the Dallas side, it's the same as it was last year. Truly an incredible player, one who will presumably be the best player in the NBA sooner rather than later. Um, And one who, if you surround him with more talent, you have a bona fide championship contender. Until then, um, he's going to have to continually put forth these superhuman efforts just to keep Dallas afloat. Uh, There's not a lot on that roster that I look at and say they can match the caliber of what Doncic is bringing to the table as a star in the same way that Paul George can with Kawhi or, you know, and with other teams in the playoffs, the same way that the Jazz can rely on their depth with Mitchell and Conley and Gobert. Um, the way that the Nuggets have Jokic and Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon and when he's healthy, Jamal Murray. Like, these teams are built out with a decent amount of depth and star power within that. And Dallas doesn't have that right now. Uh, Porzingis is just kind of turned into a nightly disappearing act. I'm not really sure what's going on there. Tim Hardaway Jr., he performed admirably, but it's probably not a great place for your roster to be if he's your second best player within the series, which he was. Then you're relying heavily upon players like Dorian Finney-Smith, who did perform greatly yesterday, but that's somebody who you want as, as a margin player, not as a prominent player that you have to rely upon. That's what Dallas has to improve going forward to maximize Doncic as a star and to maximize his championship window. Because for the time being, what they're asking of Doncic is unrealistic and impossible for a player to do. Um, 
do everything for our team and don't get tired and don't fade as the game goes on and each series wears on. Don't do that. Every human throughout the course of time has to do that. This was a continual knock against LeBron as his career wore on during his first stint with Cleveland and one that drove me nuts. The first part of his career, it was celebrated. Look at these incredible superhuman efforts. And we didn't really hold it against him that he would fade somewhat in the fourth quarters because he had to do what Doncic is doing, everything for the team. And we didn't necessarily hold it against him that Cleveland was losing to these better teams. But as the years wore on, uh, that did a total 180. And the narrative was, well, LeBron's not clutch. He's actually kind of bad in fourth quarters. Uh, Look at his numbers through the first three quarters compared to the fourth quarter in these playoff games. And I would always rail against this with the same stuff that I'm talking about with Luka. Well, yeah, of course a player is going to perform in a diminished capacity in a fourth quarter of a game that they had to do everything for their team against a more talented team. Of course they can't perform at that level. It's literally impossible for a human being to do that every single game, night in, night out, especially within the playoffs. So I'll wrap up the Doncic section with a tweet from StatMuse just to illustrate how special he has been in the playoffs throughout these first two years of his career. Luka has five 40-point playoff games. That's more than Dame Lillard, Carmelo Anthony, Tracy McGrady, Kyrie Irving, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Vince Carter, Tim Duncan, Carl Malone. Doncic has played only 13 career playoff games. The players above have played at least 50, end quote. Star power puts you in the position for the razor-thin margins to matter. Uh, What we watched through seven games from Kawhi and from Luka was special. Uh, It was uh, a gift for people who like the NBA, for people who like to watch basketball played at the highest level. Uh, Two of the most talented players doing everything in their power to win. It was amazing. Uh, And they both left their stamps on the series and their stamp on Game 7. And the difference between winning and losing was not the difference between those two players' performance. They both performed at an A-plus level, in my opinion, throughout the entire series. Uh, The margins, the razor-thin margin between winning and losing the playoffs. Uh, A lot of the times it comes down to the supporting cast. And we won't remember that because they're not stars. But in the moment, it's very evident uh, how a series in a game like this is won. Kawhi does his star-level stuff and drags them through Game 6. A remarkable star-level performance. Game 7, he has another A-plus effort. Um, But that needs to be accentuated in a way that Luka's wasn't by his team yesterday. So the razor-thin margin comes down to players like Terrence Mann on the Clippers, who has a a fantastic first-half 13 points, three rebounds. His scoring output matches Kawhi and Paul George in that half. Combined, uh, that's 39 points, more than enough to outweigh what Doncic was doing with his 29-7 first half. The razor-thin margins, it's Marcus Morris, a dude who is very inconsistent when it comes to scoring the basketball and most times not very good. Yesterday was 7 for 9 from 3-point land, 23 points. Uh... You get that style of Marcus Morris game once every 15, 20 games, maybe. Uh, And for the Clippers, it was game seven. Razor thin margins, it's Luke Kennard, a dude who's been buried on the Clippers bench all season long. And a lot of people don't really understand why, myself included. 
And they dusted him off yesterday. He plays 15 minutes and gives an enormous 11-point stretch. Three for five from three. He's one of the catalysts within that 24-4 run alongside Kawhi Leonard. He's canning open threes. He's getting to the rim. And that's an enormous thing to have in a game seven. A bit player who hasn't done anything for your team all season suddenly giving you 11 valuable points in limited minutes and canning open threes. Uh, the razor-thin margins, it's Reggie Jackson, who, when Dallas tried to make a run in the fourth, uh, he, he cans the two biggest three-pointers of the game to just squelch the life out of them. Uh, game, set, match. Move on to the next series, Utah waits. And last but not least, as is the case with almost every NBA game in present day, Sometimes it's just as simple as your three-point shooting as a team. Clippers, they go 20 for 43 from three-point land. Amazing percentage, amazing volume. Uh, Dallas goes 10 for 36. That's 10 more three-pointers made. 30 extra points. Sometimes it's just that simple. Uh, Your spot players drill their open threes. Yesterday, every single Clippers margin player... They just hit their open threes. That was one of the stories of the game. Uh, it, it won't be remembered or discussed as much as the high level of performance that Kawhi brought to the table. But that's the razor-thin margin between winning and losing, uh, something that I'm always aware of and why I always struggle with years down the road when we kind of try to rewrite history and make it all about Kawhi Leonard was better than Luka Doncic, and that's why Game 7 was decided in the way that it was decided. So, we have Clippers-Jazz starting tomorrow night. Uh, Jazz favored by three and a half points in game one. Minus 150 betting favorites for the series. Clippers plus 130 underdogs. Should be an incredibly entertaining series for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, I will be here on Wednesday morning to talk about all my takeaways from the game as I've done with every Utah Jazz playoff game so far. Uh, I'm incredibly excited for this series. The the matchups, uh, the team's strengths, the team's weaknesses, how they align with one another, how they can be exploited. It's a really juicy matchup. Uh, and as we look ahead to this series, and I reference these three-point stats from Game 7 of Dallas Clippers, that's where we'll end today's episode. Uh, three-point shooting means everything in a lot of NBA games. Uh, and it's really going to mean everything for the Clippers and the Jazz, two of the very best three-point shooting teams in basketball when it comes to volume and efficiency. They're heavily reliant upon that specific skill. So I'll be back here on Wednesday morning, and I don't think it's far-fetched to say for that individual game and for the series. Uh, whoever wins that three-point shooting battle, they stand a very good chance of winning the entire series. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.